One day I stepped on the scale. I weighed 298 pounds. I'm five foot one. It read 98 pounds. I'm five seven. I don't know what to do. I mean, I kind of want out. Yeah, I'm all in. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story and the people that craft and tell them. Each week, a storyteller will join us here on the podcast, tell one of their stories, and then break it down with me, Sean. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, but also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. Grit has been hosting events since we locked down back in March of 2020. All kinds of events from story slams and 99 second slams, flashes and 7x7s and you name it. We've done a lot of stuff and we have been blessed to have all kinds of people come into the the grit bubble and tell stories. Today we are featuring a new kind of story or storytelling experience. It's called a -a truologue. And in a moment, you will hear two examples of this from a show we did in late June of this year. Mary Jo Pollock out in Arizona teamed up with Shweta Bott in Massachusetts. And Rana Levy in Brooklyn teamed up with Joanne Pelletier in Montreal. Now, as always, check the show notes for upcoming events and classes. And of course, if you listen on Apple, please rate, review, perhaps even subscribe. It helps people find this podcast. Okay, I've talked too much. Let's dive in. I open the door to the refrigerator, and there's a big bowl of my mom's delicious homemade potato salad. On top of there's a note, not for Mary Jo. There was food in the house that was labeled for Mary Jo and not for Mary Jo. When I was growing up and all through my teens, my mom tried to control everything I ate. And she bought this disgusting, low-fat ice cream that left like a film in your mouth and sugar-free chocolate bars that were awful. She even sent me to camp with those sugar-free candy bars for s'mores, but the chocolate didn't even melt. The counselors felt sorry for me, and they gave me Hershey bars anyway, because you want to be like all the other kids when you're at camp, don't you? When I was 14, my mom decided I needed to go to the diet doctor, and he also was the pharmacy and dispensed the pills at the appointments, and there was speed and other things. I don't even know what I was taking. If I didn't lose at least a pound a week, the doctor would up the thyroid. I didn't have a thyroid condition. I was 14 years old. I was on 12 grams of thyroid and it was kind of whacking me out. My mom took me to my regular doctor. He went crazy and took me off all the meds and I crashed. And she still kept trying to control my food, but you know, I had an allowance. And I'd go up to the store, and I could buy candy bar for five cents, 
or three for 12 cents. I'm sitting in the doctor's office, 19 years old, and the doctor tells me, you're too skinny. My mom hears it sitting right next to me. I just started a medical leave from Brown for a year for having an eating disorder. And she takes it as her responsibility to make me better. She controls everything I'm eating. There's extra ghee in everything, an extra flour, an extra rice, an extra dairy, and anything that said 100 calories or low fat was thrown out of the house. I finished every day with a nightcap of whole milk with ghee and Ovaltine. I had to eat a granola bar every time I went for a walk a bowl of ice cream when I would go meet friends. Everything was exchanged for just eating more. And there was only so much I could eat. So some of those small trips were actually drives to the lake by my house, three miles circumference. And I'd walk and I'd cry and I'd run. You have such a pretty face. If only you could lose a little weight. I heard that message throughout my teens. And it really messed with my self-esteem. And it plunged me into depression. And I didn't even know what depression was. I just was feeling bad all the time. And it followed me for decades into my adult years. And for most of those years, I didn't understand. And I just kept using food as my emotional support. And during what is termed the worst four years of my life, all I did was go visit my mother in dementia care and come back to my apartment and stuff myself, stuff my feelings. And I got heavier and my clothes didn't fit. And I was so uncomfortable. One day I stepped on the scale. I weighed 298 pounds. I'm five foot one. You'd be so beautiful. If you just gained five pounds, I'd hear my mom say, and aunts, and uncles, and family friends, and sometimes my dad, just how my mom wanted to make me better. I thought it was my responsibility to be better. So I gained some weight. I went back to school. I graduated. I moved to New York City. I got a job in consulting. I got promoted. I made a lot of money. But I still needed to be better. And I worked harder. And I slept less. And I stressed more. And I started losing weight. And my clothes started getting a little looser. I wasn't sleeping. I didn't feel good. I couldn't even go out with my friends. I finally went to a doctor after a year of dealing with this and I stepped on the scale. It read 98 pounds. I'm five, seven. I was freaked out and scared to go over 300 pounds. So I consulted with a friend of mine who'd been very successful with weight loss and had kept it off for a long time. And weighing all of the diet options out there, I knew that I couldn't go with anything that said, you must eat this or you can't eat that. I had those deprivation tapes that ran in my head since I was a kid. 
I decided on Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers allows you to eat anything you want, cookies, cocktails, whatever. It's all a matter of portion control. And I did lose over 110 pounds and I was, I'm pretty happy about that. And I have more that I want to lose, but the pandemic sort of stalled me and I just kind of stayed the same. I learned how to substitute a handful of crackers for that salty, crunchy craving. And ice cream is one of my favorite foods. And I only keep premium ice cream in the freezer, none of that diet crap. And I take one big spoonful and I put it in a little dish and I go in the other room and eat it. I have permission to go for a second helping, but I rarely do. Recently, I lost somebody very important to me. And one night I went, I thought I needed a little ice cream to cheer myself up. And I took my little scoop and went to the couch. And then I went, this time I want seconds. And I did something I haven't done in years. I took the pint with me to the couch. And I started eating spoonful after spoonful as I'm stuffing down my feelings. And then I said, stop. I got up. I went to the kitchen. I turned that pint of ice cream upside down and ran hot water over it. And now I know between the food and me, I'm the one in control. I didn't want to lose any more weight. I didn't want to get sicker, but I was the queen of deprivation. I knew how to starve myself, so I couldn't do any of these diets like paleo or keto or intermittent fasting. I had to find another way. I had to learn how to control my stress. And so I found Ayurveda and acupuncture and Pilates and meditation. And I started to love cooking. I would go to farmer's markets and talk to the farmers and get all of these fresh vegetables. I was starting to feel better. So much so that I left my job. And then the pandemic hit. And I moved home. I left New York City. I left my friends and the dates. I left Pilates and acupuncture. I had none of it. I didn't know what I was doing anymore. I didn't know how to feel better anymore. I didn't know how to be better anymore. I didn't know anything anymore, but I knew hunger. I knew it well. And so one day I just wanted to feel something familiar again. And I skipped breakfast and I skipped lunch and I worked out. I went for a walk. And in between doing a jumping jack and catching my face in the mirror, I brought myself to the kitchen and I made lunch because between me and the food, it was never about perfection. It was always about control. glass of wine. 
it's a cool summer evening. We're sitting at a little outdoor cafe around the corner from her apartment and I order a glass of white wine, but she says, I can't have it. I'm supposed to have a focused and clear mind between the sessions. It's 1984 and the sessions are the Werner Earhart Seminars Training Est. And I have just finished the, the first weekend, which is at the 60 hour, two weekends, 15 hours a day, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And I have finished the first weekend and now it's I'm in between and I order a glass of white wine. She says, I can't have it, but I say Chardonnay clears my mind. She did ask a couple of years ago and she said it transformed her and it's all about you can do what you have to do and you can choose. And I, I don't really know it's something like that, but she says that it would be good for me, but I can't do what I have to do until I do the training. And maybe she's right. I mean, because I am in a funk right now. I am still dealing with my mother's sudden death last summer. And all I want to do is just go downtown and hang out in the restaurant where I waitress and hang out with, with, with Suzanne and Dave and Steve and just do nothing but waitress. And I am conflicted about our relationship. So she pays the $250 for me to take the training. Well, I mean, she pays for everything. We were lovers. And now we've kind of morphed into this place where I'm just kept by her. I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I kind of want out. I need time to detox. No wine, no relationship stuff. I need to clear my head. I'm, I'm going to start this really big new job soon, and I'm nervous. And I need something to reset. I've heard about this hot yoga boot camp in the Catskills. It's supposed to be extraordinary for exactly this kind of thing. Seven hours a day of hot yoga for seven consecutive days, plus vegan, organic cuisine, and evening discussions led by this super famous yogi guy, the one who's teaching the yoga classes. Yeah, I, I really think this is going to help. But the thing is that I haven't done a lot of yoga before. I mean, maybe a couple of classes here and there. Nothing like this. The first day, well, it's brutal and it's intense. But by day two, with all that heat and stretching, my body is contorting like a pretzel. I'm rinsed out. I feel clear and focused and present. I'm euphoric. I, I start talking about yoga like it's my practice, <laughs> and I buy a whole bunch of swag from the famous yogi guy. Yeah, I'm all in. I'm in this training, which is intense and brutal. I am squeezed into an auditorium with like hundreds of people, and I'm sitting next to these people, and there's no watches, no notes, no stepping out to the bathroom except these few designated times. I mean, there's no way out. And the facilitator is on the stage and he's talking and I don't know, it sounds kind of like nonsense, but, and then he's got these like trainers surrounding him with the little jackets and ties. And all I can think about is dinner. I am so hungry. I'm sitting in a KFC with the two people that I was sitting next to. I have never been in a KFC before. I mean, I just don't like fried chicken and I don't like mashed potatoes, but I am so hungry. So we order a bucket, a bucket of crusted chicken parts. And the, the salty, crispy skin of the chicken and it separates from the meat and it's slimy and it's just 
but I'm so hungry. And the, the salty, buttery mashed potatoes are like, like tapioca pudding, but it, I'm just so hungry. But the Diet Pepsi, it's so cold and so bubbly. And I want to have two, but I can't have two because then I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. We don't have many bathroom breaks. It's midnight and I'm in a cab going back up to her apartment and I am so exhausted. I mean, I could just, I could just put my head down, but I'm lightheaded and I feel like I'm high. Like I start to feel like euphoric, like really good. Like I can do anything. I feel like, like I have confidence and I have value and I like myself and it's great. And then I go back the next day and I do it all again. And now here we are. I'm in the middle of the week at the outdoor cafe and I asked for a glass of wine and I'm just back to waitressing. And it's like the bullshit is in and the euphoria is out. Sure, I'm still euphoric, but with all the yoga and the heat, look, I'm tired. And so middle of the week, I skip one of the evening discussions and I just stay in my room to rest. But there's a knock on the door. It's the yogis. They've come to get me. They remind me that I signed an agreement when I signed up for this week that I had to be physically present for all the discussions in the evening. There's no way out. I have to go with them. They tell me I could sleep in the discussion room if I want to, but I can't stay in my room. And so I go and I tuck myself in under a chair and I sleep through the discussion. (laughs) When I wake up, my head is clearer than ever. Because you see, there's something about this place that doesn't feel right. I'm starting to notice a lot of stuff. Like, how come famous yogi guy is always surrounded by these adoring young women who sit at his feet? And famous yogi guy is always seated in the most comfortable chair in the discussions while we're on these really crappy fold-out things. And yogi guy... He keeps reminding us not to have horizontal relationships while we're here. But ironically, he's the one who's surrounded by a lot of love. Look, I'm not having any horizontal relationships here, but I'm making lots of friends. And, well, they share my growing cynicism about this place. They see Mm. what I see. The yoga, it's great. Everything else might be bullshit. And of course, if you want the bullshit to continue, there are workshops, which she wants me to take and she pays for. I mean, there's like leadership workshop and friendship and entrepreneurship and about the horizontal relationships, which I won't go to. I mean, anything with a ship is a workshop. So I take the leadership workshop, only I don't go to the leadership workshop. I go downtown to the restaurant where I waitress so I can hang out with Suzanne and Dave and Steve and just do nothing. And I go home with Dave. Next day, I'm stepping off the elevator, heading down to the hallway to her apartment. And I see that there's these three large, green, hefty trash bags like outside her door. And I'm walking closer and I see there's like some clothes in there and it's like a scarf rolled up. And then I see a belt hanging out and I'm like, holy crap, that's my stuff. What is my stuff doing out in garbage bags in the hallway? I mean, what did I do? I know what I did last night. Mm -hmm. I'm just a coward. I didn't need Est to tell me who I was or what I need to do. 
I wanted out. And so I did it. And I'm out. I got to get out of this place. But with the agreement and all, there's one more thing I have to do to finish the week. It's yoga graduation, the fire of Shiva ceremony, a giant bonfire in a field, of course, at night. And all 30 of us gather around the fire and they hand us three pieces of paper with a pencil. We're supposed to jot down the three things that we want to be free of, three things we want to commit to the fire of Shiva, give up, three things we learned here doing all the yoga and the discussions. I'm uncomfortable with this. It feels kind of personal. I'm supposed to run up to the fire and declare what I'm supposed to give up. I don't want to do it. I turn to my friends. I don't want to do this. This is creepy and weird and it's way too personal. And they say, no, we have to do it. So we agree. Okay. We're just going to say the usual things. People in their forties typically want to give up toxic relationships, bad food habits, unattainable love relationships, but we're going to do it in our own words, right? Okay. That's what we're going to do. So I jot down my three and my name comes up and they shout it and they call me to the fire of Shiva and I still don't want to do it, but there's no way out. I've got to. So my pals push me forward and I grip those three pieces of paper and I run toward the fire. I commit to the fire of Shiva, my three things. And I throw the things in the fire. I'm graduated. Look, the yoga was great. Thing is, my head was always clear. I'm out. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to our four Truelog storytellers, Ronna Levy, Joanne Pelletier, Mary Jo Pollock, and Shweta Bot. Thank you, ladies. Check the show notes for upcoming classes and events. In particular, the next Deja True, which is featuring seven new Truelogs. That is all for episode number 42. Boom.